So today I'm going to be speaking to you from Exodus chapter 16. I'm talking about the lid of rear sightedness. And uh, there is a Bible app event for this. If you have the Bible app on your smartphone, you can follow along that way and you'll find the scripture there. Uh, we've been talking about lids, that is things that hold you down, prevent you from being who God wants you to be. I'll remind you, these are not lids, so you can be all you can be and be successful in business, so that, Lord, won't you buy me that Mercedes-Benz actually happens in your life. That's not what I'm selling this morning. What I'm selling is not actually what I'm giving away, is here's how to be who God wants you to be. Because frankly, that's what I want more than anything, more than anything in the world. I want to be the man that God wants me to be, and I think you want to be the man or woman that God wants you to be as well. So we're going to talk about the lid of rear-sightedness. I'll explain that to you as we go along here. Something really weird happened to me in 2019, just this past year. I got an invitation to my 40th high school reunion, and I'm like, it can't be 40 years since then, right? How did that happen? My 40th reunion. And you know what I did? I ignored it. I didn't go. Now, when people say, said to me, like my cousin said, hey, aren't you going to the reunion or whatever? Um, why aren't you going to it? My answer to that question corresponds with Duck Dynasty's Jace Robertson's answer to the question. I'd like to impersonate Jace with my voice, but I sound like Barney Fife when I try that, so I won't. But he says, here's my take on high school reunions. If I haven't contacted you in the last 20 years, there's probably a reason for that. <laughs> That's classic, isn't it? That's classic. So that's the reason I give for I'm not going to my high school reunion. You know, if I haven't contacted you in 20 years, why would I? You know, there's got to be a reason for that. But there's another reason I don't go to reunions. Something happens to me when I am around people from my past. Now, I don't know if you'll understand this. I don't know if you'll resonate with it. But a number of people in the first service were like, yeah, I get that. When I am around people from my past, whether it's high school or college or my old church youth group or whatever it is, I kind of enter into this chronic state of nostalgia. I, I kind of go back in time, and all I want to do is think about the past. Do you remember when Matt, do you remember when Matt tied the rope to the fire alarm and then tied the other end of it to the doorknob on the girls' locker room so when they came out, they set off the alarm? Do you remember that? Ah, ha, ha, I want to go back and remember that. By the way, don't try that at home. Don't do that. Or at the school, right? I want to go back and talk about that. Do you remember when Janet Rethke school, school bus? Whoa, that was something, wasn't it? Remember that wreck? Wow, yeah. I'm going to go back. I want to talk about that. Do you, do you remember? We had this teacher, and his nickname was Yogi. And our senior year, we were practicing for baccalaureate and for, you know, graduation and everything. And the class artist drew a full-sized drawing, painted it and everything of Yogi Bear, and hung it on his door, knocked on the door and ran. And the whole senior class watched him come out. That was one angry bear that came out when he saw that, right? Do you remember that? I just want to go back and remember all that stuff. And all my friends are talking about that, but they're also talking about their grandkids. And they're talking about their job. They're talking about where they live. They're talking about their marriage. talking about their family. They're talking about, you know, their appendicitis. They're talking about, they're talking about current things. But my brain gets stuck in the past. And conversationally, that's all I want to talk about. And cognitively, that's really all I can think about, the past. And emotionally, I'm just there. I'm stuck in the past because I'm with people I haven't seen in 40 years some of them. It's just a weird thing. And I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing to be stuck in the past and living there. Now, it is a good thing to think about the past. We're going to talk about that in detail. It is good to remember the good old days, but it is not good to be stuck there. In fact, it is harmful when a large portion of your life focuses on the past. It is unhealthy when you obsess over mistakes you made 
in the past. It is unhealthy when you kind of just continue to triumph in triumphs of the distant past in your life. And it is foolish to elevate the past to say, well, you know, the way we always did things, that's the way it was back then, and that was much better than the way they do things today. And it's sad when all your adventures are from the distant past and you're not exploring any adventures today. You see, when you get stuck in the past, you're kind of toying with a dangerous lid. Maybe you have this lid. It's the lid of rear-sightedness. That all you can do is look back in time. You keep looking back and saying, how cool is that back, back behind me? Because your focus tends to be there. Now, as I was thinking about this lid, and I was exploring Bible passages, there's really too many of them to read today. The Bible has a lot to say about this. I'm picking some from Israel when they were in captivity in Egypt and they're coming out of that captivity. They were confronted by some pretty large obstacles looming ahead of them. And they kept being rear-sighted. First passage we're going to read is Exodus 16. We're just going to read three verses there. Listen as I begin at verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on a 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. Now, get this. They've only been gone from Egypt for a couple months, right? And they were slaves in Egypt, right? They were making bricks without straw for a while in Egypt. They were getting beaten in Egypt. That's why Moses killed that Egyptian just previous to this, because they were, they were treated very harshly in Egypt. Verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate food, all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. That's rear-sightedness. That's rear-sighted thinking. You can read the same kind of thing in Numbers chapter 11. It's the same kind of incident. It's the same group of people. And in chapter 11, God has been feeding them miraculously with something called manna. And the Hebrew word manna, it means, what is it? They didn't even know what it was. But it was good, it was nourishing, it was helpful to them. He's feeding them miraculously with manna from heaven. And in Numbers 11, verse 4, just listen as I read it. It says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. And then listen to verse 5. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onion and garlic, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna, rear-sightedness. And their rear-sightedness got them into so much trouble that it actually cost some of them their lives. Rear-sightedness is a, a real lid. It's real for us. And there's a number of reasons that we tend to be rear-sighted. Uh, you know, there are a number of reasons we want to look backward and consider the past, and some of them are good reasons. The list is large. I just want to mention a couple of them. One is that we rightly recognize the value of our history. God did amazing things for Israel. And as he did those amazing things, he told them again and again, don't forget this. Remember this. In fact, he even memorialized some of those things so that they would not stop remembering them. For example, in Exodus 12, when the Passover occurs, he says to his people, he says, this is a day you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you will celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Translation, don't forget what I've done here. I just freed you from Egypt. 
And later, the meaning of the Passover is fully discovered in the person of Jesus Christ, who at the Last Supper says, this is my bread and this is my blood, which is for you. And we read about him taking that bread. It says, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Now you hear this month after month at communion. Do you remember the next phrase? Do this in remembrance of me. And he says that twice. So translation, don't forget the past. Don't forget what I'm doing for you. There's value in looking back. But you can look back without being stuck in the past. You can honor your history, even your heritage, without being rear-sighted about it. There's a second reason that we tend to look backward. And that reason is that we understand the importance of gratitude. So a few weeks ago, I was at the funeral home in town, and I was performing a funeral for a stranger uh, at that time. And as I was there, um, talking to the people who were present, striking up conversation, um, one of the gentlemen I was with spoke about having served his country. And I, I do, did what I always do. I say, thank you for your service. And I mean it. <laughs> thank you for your service. And he looked at me and he replied words like these. He said, you know, I have a cap that says Vietnam veteran. And these days, when I wear it, complete strangers will come up to me and do just what you did. They'll thank me for my service. And I'll be honest, that feels good because it wasn't always that way. We talked a little bit more and then he said this. He said, I was in a restaurant recently right in Clearfield and a complete stranger came up, saw my hat and he said, thank you for your service. And then he went over and sat down and finished his meal and left. I said to the waitress, "Uh, we're finished here. Can I have a check please? And the waitress said, that guy that was talking to you, he paid your bill. I'm getting a hat. No, I'm not getting a hat. Wouldn't that be awful? Yeah. But you like that story, right? You love that story because it's a story of gratitude that is shown correctly, honor that is shown as it should be shown. And we should have gratitude, especially toward the kingdom. Homer Neff, Glenn and Myrtle Zorger, Jack Barrett, Fred Hoover, Matt Robleski, Larry Glass, Bill Bloom, Tom Neff, Otis Kephart, John Peters, Andy Fraley, Bob McCracken, Jim Hand, Russ Miller, Jim Bell, Sidney Bell, Barry Neff. Those are just some of the men and women who gave of themselves sacrificially to build the building you're in right now. I didn't know all of them, but I honor all of them with gratitude. It's a great building. And they didn't hire a contractor. They did it themselves. And occasionally we might look and say, yeah, it kind of shows that they did it themselves. But wow, what a wonderful building we have. I have a heart of gratitude toward those people. It's proper to have that heart of gratitude. And we have it toward Jesus himself. You know, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Let us show gratitude. Let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Gratitude. It's biblical, but listen to me. You can be a man or woman of gratitude and not live in the past. You can have gratitude and honor for the previous generation without being rear-sighted, and you don't want to live in the past. Those people you're honoring, they don't want you to live in the past. Now, the third reason that we get stuck in the past, these first two are kind of complementary. We recognize the value of history, we understand the importance of gratitude, This one is not real complimentary. Sometimes we're rear-sighted because we simply struggle to trust God. 
Sometimes nearsightedness is a lack of faith. And I hate that phrase, a lack of faith, in this day and age, because sometimes we feel like faith is something we should conjure up. Like, I just got to believe hard enough. I got to believe hard enough. And that is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is trust. It is trusting God for the present. It is trusting God for the future. It's always been a matter of trust from beginning to end. Many times, people can't let go of the past because they struggle to trust God for the present and the future. It's really easy to reminisce about the old steps of faith that we took and completed in Christ. And it's maybe harder to trust him for the future steps of faith. That's a lid. That's a rear-sighted kind of lid. And that's what God wants you to free, wants to free you from. And the reason he wants to free you from those lids is because he sees problems with rear-sightedness. There are many problems with them. One of them is spiritual stagnancy. My son graduated several years ago from Carnegie Mellon University with his with his master's degree in computer engineering. And he wanted to live in the Pittsburgh area because in the Pittsburgh area, there's two things, the Penguins and the Steelers, and he loves them both, right? So I want to live in Pittsburgh. I'm a Pittsburgh boy. I want to live in Pittsburgh. That's going to be good. And so he started looking at jobs, and over and over and over again on the websites he explored, it said three to five years experience to apply. Three to five years experience. Three to five years experience. And he called me and said, it just ticks me off so bad. How do they expect me to get experience? And what have I been doing for the past seven years getting my degree here? Or six years for him. It took me seven years to complete four. <laughs> Not so with my son. What did I get that degree for if they had demand this experience? And then a defense contractor, hear that phrase, defense contractor, from Albuquerque, New Mexico, contacted him. And they hired him. They said, if you'll come and work for us for one year, we'll pay for the rest of your degree. Come on out. Come to Albuquerque. Come, come and work for us. Now listen to this. This is interesting to me. This is the interesting part. They did not hire that young engineer to maintain systems they developed in the past. They didn't do that. They hired him to design systems that did not exist. Technology that was only a dream. That's what we want you to make. We have this idea. We want you to put it on paper, and then we want you to put it into practice. We want you to do a new thing. They didn't want engineers who were not, who had been in the workplace a long time. Well, that's a little offensive. Well, I have all, I have this degree and I have 10 years experience. Why don't you hire me? I'll tell you why we don't hire you, because human beings tend to make a discovery, and then they just stick with it. And we need fresh minds that are willing to think of fresh things, willing to think of new things. My mom's meatloaf, it was the same the first day I tasted it as when I left home. She found a system that worked, she put it together, and she made it, and it was good, and I liked it, and she never changed it. Meatloaf, that's not a bad thing to do with meatloaf, right? Defense systems, (laughs) I got nothing but respect for a Sherman tank. In fact, if you have one, would like to donate it to me for pastor appreciation, I think I'd like to have one. But here's where I don't want to take it. I don't want to take it into the Middle East under fire. Not by today's armaments. No way. I need a new thing. Rear-sighted engineering in the Defense Department, that would be awful. <laughs> and rear-sighted thinking in your spiritual life, I think that would be bad too. In fact, I know it's bad. Reverend Evil Sizer is here, uh, and uh, he and I have served together on a number of committees. One of them is a committee where we interview men and women who want to engage in ministry, whether that it's a pastoral role or a missionary role, whatever they have in mind. Uh, we interview them, and one of the questions that we ask is, what's God been doing in your life? And almost always, the guy at the other end of the table says, well, when I was eight years old, I went to church camp, and we have some, blah, 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 blah. No, we're not asking about 20 years ago, what is God doing in your life? And then they'll say, well, in 2012, I was a speaker at this thing. No, no, that's eight years ago. What is God doing in your life right now? And we're not looking for a really big answer to that. 
We're just looking to hear that God is at work right now in your life and you're aware of that. Because if He's not at work right now in your life, there's a chance you're under a lid of rear-sightedness and all you can do is relive the glories of the past. That dog won't hunt. Yeah, if all you have is the past and the things God did in the past, that is a sign of spiritual stagnancy. And it's a real problem. Here's another problem with rear-sightedness. It's related to it, spiritual atrophy. You stop playing the piano, they say that you will lose your ability to play well. You'll experience atrophy. Your brain's that way too. Laurel and I, a few years ago, started doing crossword puzzles. Why? So that we knew our brains were not sitting there rotting. When my mom was 80 years old, I'm putting a brand new laptop computer in front of her, and I'm putting a brand new cell phone in front of her. Why? Because I hate her and want to torture her with that? No, because I know that if her 80-year-old brain is not being challenged and stimulated, it will atrophy. So will your spirit. So will that part of you that connects with God. If you are only looking at the past, if you spend all your time reminiscing about when you and God walked hand in hand, you may lose track of what it means to walk hand in hand with God here and now. It's got to be today. It's got to be fresh. Okay, so first problem, spiritual stagnancy, spiritual atrophy. Another problem with it is it's simple disobedience. To continually look at the past is simple disobedience. I always feel a little guilty when I read Isaiah 42. Honestly, it makes me feel guilty. Now think about who I am. I'm the guy who, when I candidated here at Kermansville Alliance Church 23 years ago, I made this statement, and I have made it hundreds of times since. Many of you have heard me made it, make this statement. Here it is. When the Beatles broke up, and I was like nine years old, when the Beatles broke up, they might as well have thrown away all the recording equipment in the world because there's no good music been made since then. Right? That's me, right? So I have this attraction to the past, especially music-wise. But for me not to embrace the new, specifically when it comes to worship music, well, listen to the text. It's Isaiah 42. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that is in it, ye islands and all that live in it. Everybody sing a new song to God. By the way, Isaiah's not talking about a worship style. He's not saying, sing the choruses, not the hymns. Well, choruses, doesn't that sound 80s-ish, right? He's not doing that. He's not talking about a style of music. He's not talking about how loud it should be. Sing louder. He's not talking about what instrument you should use. Ditch the organ, get the guitars. It's none of that. Here's what the Bible is saying. It's really simple what the Bible is saying. You can't be rear-sighted in your relationship with God, not even in your worship. That worship can't be yesterday's leftovers reheated in a microwave. That your relationship with God cannot be the flowers that were left over from a wedding or a funeral that you cut the bottoms off of to get a couple days extra life out and put on, 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 your, on your kitchen table in the middle there in a vase. Your walk with God has to be fresh. That's what God is saying there. And the next chapter of Isaiah is even clearer where it says in verse 18, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it is springing up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness streams in a wasteland. Now again, God wasn't telling them, forget the Passover. He wasn't telling them, forget about Abraham when he took Isaac up to Mount Moriah. He wasn't saying to them, forget about crossing the Red Sea and the Jordan. Here's what he's saying. Don't be stuck in the past, spiritually thinking, spiritually speaking. Beware the rear-sighted lid. I don't want the rear-sighted lid. But how do I get rid of it? How do we go about removing the, the rear-sighted lid? Let me remind you of something that I said. <laughs> in the first message in this series. Let me first say, this rear-sighted lid is screwed on pretty tightly and it won't come off unless you want it to come off. Additionally, you may need a little help. You probably won't be able to get it off yourself. Here's what I told you a couple of weeks ago. 
that this sermon series about lids is not marked by clever ideas on how to overcome the things that hold you down. I don't have some kind of special technique to get rid of these things. This is not a self-help exercise. I want to say to you, the only way to remove this lid is to bow before the cross of Christ. It is a matter of surrender. It is a matter of trust. It is a matter of looking to him to transform you. If you feel like you're stuck in the past, you have to visit the cross. You're going to have to kneel before God. You're going to have to talk it out with God. And you're going to have to, here's the word, listen to it, surrender. You will have to surrender. Because you like that lid. Makes you safe. You put it there. (laughs) So when you go to the cross, surrendering, surrendering to God, asking him, choosing to have this lid removed, you'll find freedom. The the lid will begin to loosen. And you'll find change. But you have to make the choice that you want the lid removed. No one can make that for you. You have to decide to let go of the past, to let go of the hurt, to let go of the bitterness, to let go of the anger, to let go of the thrill, to let go of the pride, to let go of the joy. Whatever it is that makes you rear-sighted, you're going to have to choose to get rid of that lid, to say, I want to be free of this. And let me say, you have the ability to do that, okay? I, I say that you have the ability to do that because God commands you to stop looking at the past. Remember, he says in Isaiah 43, 18, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And God would never tell you to do something that he knew you could not do. How unfair would that be, right? So he knows you can do this. So he says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. And you know that he wants you to lose that rear-sightedness because of what he says in the very next verse. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. If you want to be part of what God has in mind for you to be a part of, you'll need to choose to say, God, help me remove that lid. You'll need to talk to him about it. You'll need to bow before the cross in your heart and say, God, I, I do not want my faith, my walk with you, to be comprised mostly of a distant memory. I I don't want it to be nothing more than a rehashing of what has happened in the past. I want to experience what you might have to do now in my life, God. I want to look forward to what you're planning for me down the road. I want to surrender my addiction to the past. Help me as I choose to remove this lid of rear-sightedness. Make the choice. Second, you would do well to look around and see God's present-day work. You would do well to look at what he is doing today. Listen, we live in a very broken world. A very broken world. And because of that, if you're not intentional as you just blithely go through world, the spirit of the sage will give you nothing but evil. And what you'll see is all the evil that is around you. You understand that the world we live in has been streaming longer than YouTube. Streaming longer than Netflix. And it streams content into your soul. And by default, it streams bad programming. It streams material that pushes your buttons and just makes you so angry. It feeds you evil content. It cruelly would lead you to conclude that there is nothing but cruelty in this world. And it gets you all hopped up. Not on red Kool-Aid and sugar, on something worse, on a sense of injustice. The world is full of these things. And that content, as it streams into your soul, makes you want the lid of rear-sightedness. 
It makes you long for a past when things weren't this bad. Oh, the good old days when people loved each other and the good old days where people cared about each other and there was compassion. We didn't have all these fights. And It will make you long for a past that chances are never really existed. Do you understand that? Listen to this. We have a good, good father. He is a good God. And he does good things in his present day. Even today. The prophet Jeremiah said so. I mean, Jeremiah is the go-to guy to illustrate this. He lived in a society that had completely turned its back on God, so much so that God in his grace knew that the only way I can get these people to turn toward goodness is to send them in exile in Babylon, present-day Iraq. I'm sending you there for 70 years so you can get your head screwed on straight because you're such a mess. And that was not a pleasant journey there. They were marched there as slaves, and they, they basically did the bidding of the Babylonian people. And in the middle of all that, Jeremiah says something quite remarkable. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In one of Israel's darkest hour, as they're being sent into captivity, how did Jeremiah write those words? He took off the lid of sightedness. And he looked around himself and found something good. God. He acted in a way that God wants his people to act when God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Did you catch a phrase that's in the middle of that? We've read it like five times. There's this phrase. Do you see it there? Do you not perceive it? Don't you see what I'm doing here? you got to look for good in a very evil world if you're going to see the good. But when you see it, it helps you remove the lid of your sightedness. Let me give you a third a third thing you might do to help remove the rear-sighted lid. And that would be, expect God to do something new in you personally. Listen, if you're saved, and by that I mean, if you have recognized that you have done things that are troublesome to God, they've offended him. But in his great grace and love, he came and died on the cross to pay for your sins. And that when you turn away from your sin and trust him, even though you're not perfect, you're trusting his sacrifice on your behalf, he forgives you and you walk with Jesus from there. That's what being saved is. If you're saved, the Bible says that you're a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, the King James said, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so as a new creature, you can expect new things. You can expect God to continue his work in you. You can understand that he who began a good work in you will indeed carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So expect him to do that. I heard through the grapevine that one of the Thursday night guys has decided that every morning when he gets up, because he's been reading John, we've been going through John, every morning when he gets up, he says, God, I want today when I go to work, I want rivers of living water to flow from my being. Hear that, God? Here it is. First thing in the morning, I'm getting ready to go downstairs. But before I even do that, would you please make rivers of living water flow from me? I wasn't there this past Thursday because I was uh, with Chuck, but I heard through the grapevine that he's absolutely amazed at what God is doing in answer to that prayer. Now, I'm guessing there's a certain percentage of us that are thinking, yeah, you know, I did something like that one time. One time back then. In the past, don't fall under that lid 
of your sightedness. Do it now. Look for it now. You know, I have seen people held back by their attraction to a world that no longer exists and maybe never did exist. People who have slowly withdrawn from their friends because of their lid of rearsightedness. They're just not the same as they were when I knew them years ago. I'm not going to hang out with them. People, pastors, who's withdrawn from serving God. Yeah, I don't want to do that anymore because it's not like it used to be. And the lid of rearsightedness comes down on their head. Christians who have become bitter toward other Christians, toward humankind even, because of the lid of rearsightedness. The lid is real. Do you see any glimpses of it in your own life? <laughs> I've seen it in mine. Do you want to be free from it? Let's pray to that end. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. So here's what you're doing. You're thinking, do I have this tendency to look toward the past? Am I neglecting the present? Am I just remembering what it used to be like and wishing it was that way, but feeling like it never will be that way again? Am I captivated, held down by the lid of your sightedness? And if that's you, then as I pray, and I'm going to pray on your behalf, you know, like this is what I would say to God. This is what I have said to God when I've seen the lid of your sightedness in me. As I pray those kinds of words in the silence of your heart, you speak them to God in your own words, in your own language, by your own spirit. And ask him to help you remove the lid of your sightedness. Let's pray. So Jesus, we do recognize value in the past. We see, and we see that it's important to remember our good history and remember what you have done. It's important to show gratitude for that in the past and to honor those who've gone before. But we see as well how if that's all we're doing, looking at the past and what you did in the past through others and even through us, that that's simply inadequate. And we can get trapped there so that we are basically atrophied and stagnant and, and, uh, and non-functional in the present. None of us want that. I mean, none of us are standing here before you saying, yeah, I, I kind of like being stagnant. We want, we want to be living. We want to have living water, rivers of living water flow from us. We want to presently see your hand at work in our life. We want to be free of this lid of rearsightedness. And so we repent. When we say we repent, God, this is what we mean. We know it was sin for us to neglect the present in favor of the past. Forgive us for that. Forgive us for that. And second, we kneel our hearts before your throne. We kneel before the cross, Jesus, and we say, would you please remove this lid? I, I, will not, I will not fail to appreciate the past, God, but I need to be free of my bondage to my past. Whether it's a past that we're just thrilled to boast about or a past that is marked by regret and heartache, we don't value that which is behind like we value that which you're doing right now. Create in us a new heart. Give us a new song to sing. Do the new thing in the desert of our life. May your water pour streams in the wilderness, in the wasteland. We give our hearts to you and we look for you to show us the goodness that you have in mind for us to be a part of. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.